You're listening to the world's only pro wrestling podcast, the VIP Lounge, bringing you the best in pro wrestling, new school guests, interviews, and opinions. Brought to you by ReeseRyanBrand.com. And here's your host, the VIP champion, the king of swag, Reese Ryan. What is going on, you guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode eight of the VIP Lounge podcast, independent pro wrestling podcast. I'm so, so, so excited for today's guest. Oh, man, guys, I've, I've been waiting for this for so long. I, I love, I love, love, love this guy's work, uh, just his creativity, his longevity, uh, just his passion, and he's one of the kindest guys to boot as well. Uh, so it's so awesome that I was able to have this chat with him. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is my episode with Dean Allmark. So we talk so, so, so much in this, uh, in this podcast. We talk about his training with GBH School, his debut in 2000, uh, his first run with All-Star and kind of paying his dues on the road and learning the ropes. Uh, he says about how when he first was training, he didn't quite understand the kind of hierarchy. And like he gets into that about how, you know, he'd be cleaning the dishes, he'd be running the miles, um, all these things that, uh, that you hear about as well. And how, you know, he just takes it in his, his, his stride. He's, he's uh, such a cool guy. Uh, so humble as well. And he's done some absolutely incredible, incredible things. We talk about his TNA show and uh, and how disappointed he was in his first try there. He says about how the, the styles did uh, kind of clashed when he went on with um, someone of like a Mexican style. He said about how he was so disappointed in that, but he's learned so, so, so much going forward. We also talk about working in Japan uh, how his relationships have shaped his work, uh, particularly his work ethic and style. Uh, we'll talk about his kind of long-lasting friendship with Robbie Brookside, um, and also working on the indies. Something that I didn't realize as well, guys, is with Dean, he didn't make his kind of uh, debut on the indies in in particular until like 10 years in. So like he was a 10-year veteran of the full-time job, and, and, uh, and that's when he started doing the indies. So he has a chat about that as well. And also, he's the head coach at the All-Star Wrestling School. So we talk about kind of him training the new faces of British independent pro wrestling. And guys, so, so, so much more as well. Like, we just completely, uh, you know, just uh, talk our heads off for a solid hour. So I, I really hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, once again, like every episode, uh, if you could check out reeswimebrand.com. It's got my merchandise on there. It's got match footage. It's got events. Not that we have any at the moment, but heck yeah, uh, we can move on to that. Um, I hope you all are doing so well as well. Like, um, obviously everything that's going on right now, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now, guys. And just, if you're having a hard day, please talk to people. Mental health is just so important. And like, 
just the other day, I, I had a chat with with my bro, and we 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 uh we hadn't caught up in, uh, in so long. And you know what? Like that hour just speaking to him was the best thing that I could have done. Um, so you know, just pick up the phone, guys, and just talk to somebody if you're having a hard time. Uh, and also, you can listen to my voice. <laughs> so I hope that uh I hope that I also help you as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is my interview with the. British wrestling legend that is Dean Olmark. Hey, what's going on, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Very good, thank you, sir. How are you? Uh, how are you getting on with the lockdown? Uh, okay. Like, obviously, it's been like four months since my last wrestling match now, so getting anxious to get back in there. Uh, I think the, the most time I've had off in the last two, uh, twenty years is like two months, and that was through injury. So, man, that must be killing you. What um I noticed that you got yourself a uh, like a gymnastics mat. Have you just have you just felt like you have to like roll around and do something? Yeah, I just don't want to get like super rusty, you know. Um, so I've been doing a series on my YouTube channel, uh, going back to my wrestling school, and uh, I was finding that like just going once a week uh, might not be enough. So yeah, I got the mat out and uh, I kind of roll every morning. Do you live? Do you live far from the school? Do you have to like travel a lot? Oh no, it's like ten minutes. Oh great, great. So that's good. Oh cool. Well then, no, I I totally get when you, when you have the work rate that you have to then suddenly go from all to nothing must be absolutely killer. Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's unusual and it's like my it's been like my living for like twenty years too. So to lose your job and the thing that you love at the same time like sucks so bad. Are you gonna be? Are you gonna be okay financially? You're gonna have to get like a shoot job, or are you, you gonna be good? Yeah, so I got um, like a like a part time shoot job like at the beginning of the year when this all kicked off. So uh, so that's going okay. It's a killer when the alarm goes off at five o'clock in the morning. When you used to like lying in bed until like nine o'clock, it's an absolute <laughs> killer. Well, the um. You know, may, maybe this conversation will, will brighten your spirit then, because we're going to talk about wrestling. Uh, so, you know, you, you've been in it for a long time. What I, I kind of thought would be the best way to do it would be uh, a little bit of like a career retrospective. So like we can kind of go to the start and work our way through, uh, just because there's quite a lot to get through. I've done my research, but if there's anything that I've got wrong, just let me know, because we all know Wikipedia can suck sometimes. Um so, like, if we go all the way to the beginning, Dean, you are uh, you trained at Great British Hardcore starting in 1999. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. And uh, you were trained by the World of Sport alumni Keith Myatt and Chris Curtis. Can you tell me a little bit about those first few sessions there? Uh, so, what happened was, so I had a best friend, and I still got a best friend called Robbie Dynamite, and. Um, he lived about 10 houses away from me, but we wrestled each other since we were like six years old. Like he was, uh, he was an amateur wrestler. And uh, even though he was like a year older than me um, and neither of us had wrestled before, it was like being around like a real wrestler because that's all he ever wanted to do. So uh, when I was 15 in 99, we used to train in the gym and the building was like three stories and the gym was on the top floor. So we're training and then uh, it came about that a wrestling school was opening on the second floor. So uh, so he just lent me like five quid to go along for that first session because like I was I was skinned, like I was so poor. Uh, he gave me the five quid for that lesson and uh, we went along. And the first, like we walked in and it was just like 
like a room with blue mats and there was like about 40 people there. So on that first training session, they just paired us up and they made us like um, grapple each other, like uh, like submission grappling. And that's basically what we did for hours. <laughs> it's just like submission, like swap partners, submission grapple. And then the next day we turned up and there was like 10 people there. Like they lost like 30 students. And on that day, like Keith was there and uh, I remember they, they showed us how to like break off wall and stuff like and how to put on a wrist lock. And then we just went from there. So they didn't kind of smarten you up from the very start. Did you did you go into it thinking that uh, like you like you were kind of going into something a little bit more legit? Like how were you at 15 years old? Did you know like the business is a work? Like where were you at with that? Uh, yeah, I think so. So like we used to go um, to a Muay Thai gym and use the boxing ring there. And there was uh, me, Robbie Dynamite and uh, Kid Cool. And we all started at the same time. And uh, we used to use the boxing ring and we used to like, we had our own match like planned, you know, like as we went to that Muay Thai gym. So like on the second day when they showed us how to like do wrist locks and stuff, we basically just went in there and did our match that we've been doing like since we were six years old. So, uh, so yeah, like I kind of knew, but they, on the first day I was just like, oh, well, this is kind of different. But we used to do grappling anyway, but with Robbie being an amateur, like we used to do submission grappling and it, he was, he's like the best submission grappler I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I've never seen him lose a submission grappling match. So uh, he beat me like a thousand times. <laughs> uh, so, so when you kind of, well, first of all, I think it's awesome that you, uh, you grew up with such amazing guys like, um, you know, like you say, Robbie Dynamite and a kid cool. That must've been amazing to, uh, to have people. So, um, well, Obviously, I don't know them personally, but they've done amazing things. They must be really motivate, motivating people. How was that kind of having those people around you as a support network? Yeah, uh, especially like when it came to like like joining the gym, like Robbie, as soon as I left school, he was, so I left school when I was 15. And as soon as I left, he was like, okay, you come in the gym with me tomorrow and we're going to get you signed up. And then we're just going to try train like nine times a week. I was like, oh, cool, cool, no worries, okay. And then uh, even, like, 16 years old, like, Rob was dumbbell pressing, like, 130s, like, dumbbells, like, each side. And, like, everybody used to just gather around all these big dudes in the gym and just watch him, like, lifting, like, the heaviest weights they had in the gym. It was absolutely insane. So as a motivator, like, Robbie was always there as, like, a big brother. And, uh, and like I said, it was, like, already knowing a professional wrestler, even though he hadn't had any professional wrestling training he just knew like so much and uh we used to go to the gym in the morning and then watch tapes from like all around the world all day and then go back to the gym at night and that's just how much we loved it so um when you kind of spent these first few years at this school was it was it kind of just you guys who were like so passionate about it or was that was there any other people there um like because obviously the second session there was only 10 people did it did it get less and less and less as it went on? We had like dudes that would just like show up and they'd do like a session and then they'd just go. Um, I think after, so I had my first match in January 2000 after training at the school for like four months or whatever. Uh, and then we had like one show every month. Um, at this time, I'd got myself a job in a factory and uh Training was like three hours on a Tuesday and five hours on a Sunday. 
And uh, as I say, like you get random dudes turning up. And then after about eight months, like Mikey Whiplash came along and started training at the school. So from there on, it was like me, Dynamite, Kid Cool, and Mikey Whiplash. And uh, and from there on, we just we had, like went on an All Star tryout together at the same time. And then we all started with All Star at the same time. And we became like what was known as the Stoke Boys then. So we're um I'm I'm really excited to get on to All Star, but first of all, I would you mentioned your debut at, like four months later. Just want to have a little bit of a chat about that. Um, so you're you're going on to your first show after four months. Obviously, that that's not a lot of time compared to what some people take. Why was that? Was that because the there were limited guys, or was that because you just rose through the ranks quite quickly and you were quite competent? How did you get onto the shows within four months? So. Um... At the time of my first wrestling match, I was 16 years old. And um, on the British scene at that time, it was very unusual for somebody so young to come along and like start wrestling. So I think in, uh, in Chris's mind, he was like, he was going to get good publicity from like putting a 16 year old in there and Bill and me as like the youngest professional wrestler in the country. All right, right. I see. That's cool. Um, what was going through your mind? when that started did you feel in yourself that you were ready to do this would like can you can you remember what that was like before you went out the curtain for the first time um it was it's kind of weird like so when i when i first started wrestling for the first couple of years like every match that i would have it would seem like i was in there for seconds uh and it like I couldn't really remember like half the stuff that happened in there i kind of like just go on like adrenaline because i was like so nervous and and so anxious so like I used to record every match um so I used to watch it back and oh that happened that happened but it was just mad and uh and now I say it's like after doing it for 20 years it's kind of like the opposite it's, you go in there for like 20 minutes it seems like you've been in there for an hour and <laughs> everything's kind of in slow motion and there's just like no adrenaline whatsoever uh, and everything hurts 10 times more. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that first match as well, uh, obviously you four months in, you, you weren't kind of clued up to like psychology and things like that. Were you, um, did you go in there and kind of have everything planned out like a dance or uh, how did that work? So I wrestled uh, my trainer, Chris Curtis in there um, and he'd been around for, for quite a few years at that point. And, uh, yeah, he just basically just led me through the match. And, yeah, it was not really psychology or anything like that. It was kind of just like, okay, we're going to do some cool moves. And I think I was, like, probably, like, 12 stone at the time. And he was, like, a big guy um, who was, like, I'd say 18 stone. And I remember, like, one of the big things in the match is I hit him with a tombstone pile driver, like, just, just in the match somewhere. And I was just, like... Yeah, that was just how it was. It was just random moves, like <laughs> video game style. <laughs> oh man, I wish I could see that. Have you got Have you got footage of that first match? I've got that tape, but it's never going to see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the best. <laughs> uh, well, um, so you obviously then went on um, just before we get to All Star as well. Um, you held the British Tag Team titles twice, one with Robbie Dynamite. Um, which you then went on to kind of uh, get have a big kind of feud with him later on down in the career. Um, obviously, you've said that you ca- you guys kind of grew up together and things like that. How um, like can you tell me a little bit more about your relationship now to today? Like, has that always been a really strong 
on there? So uh, Robbie retired through injury, like about it's coming up to two years ago now. Um, but like I said, like our relationship was Rob was always the one that pushed me more than anybody else in wrestling. Um, I always felt like when we were wrestling, I was wrestling against somebody that was better than me. And I always I always felt like he was like my big brother, you know, uh, and that's how I will always feel. Uh, even if he doesn't wrestle for like the next 20 years and makes a comeback and I would have still been wrestling for them 20 years, I'll still get in there and I'll be like, this is the same. He's still better than me and he's still my big brother. So um, there was a time there where he went out with my sister for like about eight years. Um, and then Kid Cool used to go out with his sister. So uh, so it was, was kind of like a little family thing going on, like especially at the beginning. And we'd always be around each other's houses and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, we'll always have that bond. And, uh, and Robbie, it's a shame that he's had to retire because in my eyes, he's one of the best to ever do it. Um, so to move on, you just mentioned there about kind of, you know, 20 years down the line, you're still going to be doing this. Uh, I, I, I want to go back to All-Star in a minute and we'll go down the uh, kind of career chronologically. But what I want to ask as well is, what do you think is the secret to your longevity? Because you do some crazy, crazy things in the ring, and it just seems like you're never going to stop. Like, have like, what's the secret? Like, Epsom salt baths? Like, what's your deal? <laughs> I do do them. Uh, a lot of salt baths, but uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's just one of the. I think I always attribute it to like from the age of six. Me and Rob always wrestled each other on like in the gardens, on living room floors. And then we went along to a wrestling school and trained there for a year and a half, like eight hours a week on just mats. And these mats were like really, really hard mats. But we used to do like every kind of suplex that you could think of, pile drivers. And we used to just like throw each other around. So by the time I first stepped foot in a ring, which was like on my first match, like I got in the ring and I was like, oh my God, this is like luxury. And I've just never been one of them guys that like moans about a ring because the way I was brought in, like I wasn't trained in a ring. So any any type of like padding or like wood or anything that you can get is way better than like a concrete floor or mats. No, of course. But the thing is, what, I, what doesn't quite sit with me is like you say, you've spent those few years absolutely killing each other on these hard mats like why why can you still walk what what's the deal uh i'm not sure and another thing like which i'm a little bit worried about now is uh like i've averaged like a 250 matches like every year for the last like 19 years after that first year of wrestling for the company that i work for and like trained at it's been like on a full-time basis and wrestling that many matches a year. I think your body is just used to it, you know? Um, and I'm a, f a little bit worried about like not wrestling for like four months or how long it's going to be like while lockdown's still on. When you first get back in the ring, I reckon everything's going to hurt way more than it did before. And my body won't be used to it anymore. So this is why I've started going back to my wrestling school once a week, just to make sure that like that kind of thing doesn't happen. Cause I've always prided myself on like the toughness of like getting in there and like taking as many bumps as you can give me, like I'm bumping on the floor and just like, just carrying on like nothing's happened. And I've never had like, a, 
like a, a serious injury that's needing an operation or anything like that. So uh, I really hope that doesn't change with all this time off. So um, do, do you do like yoga or like things like that? I imagine that you've got quite a substantial like warm up and things like that. Like what kind of things have you incorporated to make sure that you can still go, like you say? Uh, so into my, my wrestling school has been open since 2006. And uh, it started off weekends, so it used to be twice a week for many years. But, like, when you've got students and, like, you're showing everybody how to stretch, like, twice a week, um, I think at that point I was like, oh, well, this is actual stretching. And, uh, and like, just showing somebody, like, ignited that, that, like, thought in me that, oh, I need to do this on a regular basis. And since 2006, like, I've got my own stretching routine that I do. And I'll even do it on days where I'm not at the school. Like, if I'm wrestling on a show, like, I'll do some stretches if I feel like I need to. Like, in, it, especially if we get there, like, early, um, a couple hours before the show starts, I'll always get in the ring and do some stretches. Um, so, yeah, I think I think opening my wrestling school and having it open for all this time is like, really helped when it comes to, to stretches and stuff because at the very least at the minute I stretch really well on a weekly basis every Wednesday the um stretching is the kind of thing where like for me it is so 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 important and I really do obviously I know that but like it just sometimes you're just kind of like man I like you like even like in the gym like you'll finish a workout and you'll be like man I really just don't want to stretch and like you won't and it's like you really I've got to, and I, it's just kind of getting your head in the game and thinking of the long-term effects. Because when you're younger, particularly as well, like I'm 22, and you feel like you're indestructible, you know, but obviously you're not. Yeah, I remember them days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't last forever. Like I'm 36 now, and thinking back to when I was 22, man, like that was, yeah, you just feel indestructible and uh it doesn't last forever and i do have days where i, I get out of bed and i'm like oh shit i can't stand up straight today but but like i said like on a weekly basis i stretch and if i if i wake up and i feel my back's a bit sore i will stretch like immediately before i do anything else so uh so yeah and i think so my, my dad used to be a brown belt in kung fu as well so i used to hang out in in that dojo quite a bit and uh, and take part in the lessons and they had like such a strict stretching routine the um, so like I remember them stretching and thinking oh these suck but like in the long game like I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to do that um, yeah and I brought that along with me all this time so so yeah I think that was an important important thing to do and uh, that is a really important thing to do like as much as you can um you also say about um you, you like uh, with your you know you say you're like you're in like late 30s now i'm it's it's great it, mid 30s sorry <laughs> um but like it must it's incredible that you you know you're at that age which is in no means old of course not but like but you can do things that like you know me and people my age cannot do and like your work rate is just insane like um whenever you watch your matches everything is just so crisp and like it like executed so well and, like i love your like spanish fly like it always looks absolutely perfect it's like all your moves are like out of a video game you know it's like perfect and like you know so like it's a credit to you that um obviously you you've just always stuck with the um 
doing it the right way. And, and, and that's awesome. How, like, who, who inspired your work rate, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Who inspired your way of wrestling? Um, again, I've got to, I've got to put it down to Dynamite. Like, so we used to just try moves that we'd see. And then Dynamite was like, it was really innovative. Excuse me. It was really innovative too. And, uh, and we always saw the importance in wrestling to like try and create stuff instead of kind of copy everything that we see, you know? So, uh, so we used to try and come up with our own stuff as much as we could. And, uh, and then bounce ideas off each other. And then like we used to take, we used to record like the eight hours of training that we used to do on them mats and take them, study them and just see like, okay, like that move would, would be good if it was like executed better, you know? So, uh, and then uh, another thing that we used to do quite often is uh, we used to play like video games all the time, as many like wrestling video games as we could. So we used to get rubber. He had like a, a Japanese PlayStation um i'm sure we had to like turn it upside down to play the games or some shit like that so uh he used to get all the japanese wrestling games and like on those japanese wrestling games they were so detailed the way that the moves were done and uh and we should just basically think oh that's the right way to do something you know like a sit-down power bomb to me isn't the way like batista does it it's the way like juicing thunder liger does it you know so it's I see the difference in moves and like to everybody else, they're like, oh, Batista bomb's so cool. And it used to get such a good reaction. But for me, I always thought that he did it pretty shit, to be honest. He never used to like sit down properly. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, I can see the difference when a move's done good and when a move's done bad. So I think that's, that's part of it. Uh, You're probably the most, I I think anyway, out of all who I can think about, the most creative guy on the British wrestling scene as well, because like like, your your arsenal is just so, like you say, full of moves that you've invented. Like uh, like I'm trying to think, you've got the the, um, AJ Styles move into the powerbomb. You've got the, uh, you've got the, uh, like a Vader bomb, but they're stood up. So like you you, you do that. It's, it's, you know, all, all those things like, did you see them, like those particular ones? Did you see them in like video games or whatever, or were they just coming out of your head? It's, I think because you watch so much wrestling and we we used to watch wrestling so much, you'd see a move and you'd just be like, okay, this is a move. And then you kind of like stop it halfway and you'd be like, okay, where can I go from this position? And sometimes it'd be like, okay, I'm going to take this move and I'm going to mix it with this move. And, and it works, you know, and, I've never understand why people like don't try to invent more, you know. Um, I think it's just something that came naturally to me in Dynamite. And I think it was like our obsession with wrestling. It's just when you think about like wrestling nonstop while you're awake, like you can't help but create things, you know. I just don't think of like wrestling as stuff that's happened. I think of wrestling like stuff that could happen. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I understand. I think, I guess, um, that's that's a really cool I haven't thought about that perspective before what when, whenever I'm kind of looking for new things what I'll tend to do is look at like old tapes from like the 70s or 80s and like take something that's no longer done anymore and then bring it bring it back is that something that you incorporate uh so um I used to do a series um called the move of the week on the on my all-star wrestling page and uh it was basically doing moves that I'd invented but it was also bringing back moves that people used to do but maybe putting a twist on them just a touch 
Um, I always see like guys from like the world of sport era, like the way they, they wrestled, there's nobody better than them. Like if somebody comes along and they try to do world of sport these days, they'll never do it the same as them because them guys were doing it like twice a day, every day, every week, you know? So nobody's wrestling, uh, as many shows as they did back then. And, uh, and you just can't compete with that, you know? So, so what you can do is you can take their stuff, uh, which was really amazing and just like twist it to make it your own, you know? Um, yeah, because no disrespect to anybody on the scene, but like nobody is better than like Johnny Saint at Johnny Saint style. I know, I, I I get what you're saying. Um, so let let's jump back again. Let's go to the chronological uh kind of career. Let's uh talk about those first three years in All Star. Now you've been like you know All Star is somewhere where so many wrestlers want to go in order to like hone their craft. And like you've been fortunate enough to be a mainstay with those guys. Uh, can can you tell me about like the some of the lessons that you've learned with All Star, or maybe like particularly in the first few years? What was that like? Uh, uh, the first the first year was like super tough because at our old wrestling school, we weren't taught like all the stuff that had been passed down through wrestling. Like when you're like on a full-time wrestling team uh, because our, our wrestling school and our wrestlers, like the people that, trained us were never like full-time wrestlers they were like wrestlers that used to have full-time jobs and they used to just do for fun you know um but like when you join all-star it's like oh like these guys are like full-time wrestlers these guys are like the real wrestlers you know so uh we hadn't been taught like we'd been taught like i was a respectful person anyway but we weren't taught all the stuff that you should be taught like when you're joining like a full-time wrestling team and uh yeah, that that when you join, there's like punishment for little things, you know. And uh, I'd never thought about this kind of thing. And the first cut, the first year was like really tough, especially when it comes to like, how can I put it? It's it's like your apprenticeship, you know what I mean? And it's lessons that you learn from like. So you mess up, like you pay for it by like having to run a mile uh, or something like that, you know. As the youngest member of the team, like when we got to the camps. Um, the beds weren't made, so it was my job to like make everybody's bed when we got there. You know, to do to do the sheets at breakfast time in the morning. It was my job to collect everybody's dishes and and take them to be washed. You know, and just stuff like that. It was it was like an apprenticeship, but it was like character building. And it was like a respect thing too. You know, um, that's awesome that you you think of it as like an apprenticeship because when you speak to so many people and they say about kind of stuff like that, how it used to be, um, and not so it, it probably doesn't happen so much now, but it's not a bad thing. Um, but like a lot of people are quite kind of uh, negative about it and they're like, oh, you know, like I was treated treat bad, things like that. But you, when you say that it's like an apprenticeship, it just shows you're just taking it in your stride. Um, which says a lot about, you know, your character and your character building. Um, but can you give us a little bit of an example about when you say that you weren't, was, was it like the backstage stuff that you weren't taught about? Like, or didn't you, did you like just, you know, put your bag in someone's spot or like, what's the deal? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't taught about like the most experienced member of the team, like sits in the passenger seat when somebody's driving. Uh, when you're in a car, you don't sleep in the car unless it's okay with the driver you know uh, um 
yeah, just little things like that. Um, yeah, you just had to realise that if you were the newest member of the team, you were bottom of the pile. So if any running round needed doing or anything like that, you were the one that was that was meant to do it. Uh, if so, like as all star, like a big a big thing that's always been a thing is the flags because you get a lot of like Americans on the team, you get English. So Brian says that on your entrance, you need to take a flag out with you. So after the show, the ring's packed away. The youngest member of the team grabs the flags, makes sure they go in the ring van. Just little things like that, you know, just stuff that now seems like common sense wasn't common sense to me at the time. And and like I said, I did pay for these things. But once you once you run a mile or you have to do something that like um, so like I've d- done something. I can't remember what I've done, but every petrol station we stopped at, I used to have to get out and there was a bucket and sponge at every petrol station back then. Uh, and my job was to wash Brian's car before we set off again. And that was just the way it was, you know, and that's, that's just the way that you learn. You think, oh, well, I'm never going to do that again. Cause I don't want to be washing his car all the time in front of the rest of the wrestlers. That's, um, so that first year it w- was hell. Uh, how did that kind of, uh, how did you, did you feel when your kind of, um, spot on, on the group started to change? Like, and as like another new guy came and like, what was that like transitioning out of that and then maybe seeing someone else washing their cars? Like, yeah. what did that feel like? So what happened was at, at GBH where we trained, um, Dynamite and Kid Cool ended up going on the camps for All Star. And me just being 16 and having a job in a factory, I couldn't go on the camps because it was like six or seven days a week, every week. So I couldn't go away. And I felt like I needed to be loyal to GBH for whatever reason. I'd been there for like a year and a half. And um, so by the time I got on the All Star team, I'd had my first match before Kid Cool and Dynamite, but because I'd come like months after them, I was like the young boy on the team again. So like when it came to like the dishes and stuff, I was having to take their dishes back too, which like I found kind of hard because like like I said, he was like my big brother Dynamite, and and Kid Cool was like one of my best friends. So having to do that kind of stuff like sucked, but um, I understood. I was the youngest, so I needed to do it. Would they have got heat if they if they took their own plane? Yeah, yeah. The older guys on the team would have told them like that's that's not what we do. So uh, they just had to to let it happen, you know. And it was tough, um, but again, it's character building. And then um, I think the next guy on the team was Mikey Whiplash. I think when Whippy came along, so like at Butlins, we used to move the stairs away, and the ring was under the ring at certain places. And uh, I was always the guy that got underneath the ring to get the ring out, which was like a horrible job. It was like the posts, all the bars, all the soft stuff. It was it was horrible. So when Whippy came along, we kind of like, because Whippy's older than me by a couple of years, um, but he understood that he was like the young boy on the team now. So he was happy to get under there and, and pass the bars out. And we used to take it goes and turns, like, because I was like, I, I know how much that job sucks, so he's not going under there every single time. Um, so on the kind of um, in-ring side of it as well, so you were paying your dues outside of the ring. Um, what were those kind of uh, experienced guys like with you in the ring? Were they were they a bit kind of hesitant about giving you 
giving you some some offense or like what was the deal did you get any kind of stiff shots or anything like that so um our first all-star show we went along um to victoria hall which is in hanley which is our hometown and we went and met brian and he made us do like a tryout like tag match before the show uh and kid cooler is back unfortunately in that tryout but we carried on and me and dynamite did some stuff off the top row which brian dixon like hadn't really seen by that point. So uh, he decided to throw us in the first match on the show, which was like a battle royal. Um, and in this battle royal, you had like Skull Murphy in there. You had Barbarian that was in WWF. Um, you had this guy called Cuban Assassin. Um, so you had all these big guys in there. And like, it seemed like nobody in the ring was under like 16 stone apart from us. Um, and, and like, they just beat the shit out of us like no ways about it like they just came for us and beat the shit out of us and like that was like oh well this is the way wrestling is I guess and uh I think for whatever reason Brian did that every single night he had a battle royal which was first on the show every single night so every single night we would get in there we go up and down the country we go and uh Rob's mum and dad used to take us to the shows so we'd be in the back of that transit van and we used to just go make our own way there get thrown in this battle royal and every night we it was the same thing beat the shit out of us beat the shit out of us and i think in the end i think we ended up gaining their respect because we were nice and respectful and we just keep coming back you know and i think that was a little bit of a test for us all right so once you got past that test um like because you you know you've been with them for a long time at all star uh as you started to earn the respect with the with the guys and started to get a little bit more like actual uh spots not just in the battle royal um what kind of things have you learned from that experience like being you know wrestling as often as all star like they've got a huge like schedule like the biggest in, in in british wrestling so like what did you learn from that like got any experiences in the ring there so um it was like i was learning every single day it was it was crazy it was so i went from where we were where we were doing one show a month uh working in a factory and then i got laid off in the factory i got made redundant uh and the week after that dynamite said okay i've spoke to brian he said you can do the camps so the first week on the camps was uh, me, a guy called Steve Strong that was from our wrestling school, and the Knight family, Ricky Knight, Roy, Roy Knight, and uh, we were in tags with them all week. And it was just uh, that first week. Um, so the first day, we were at Minor Butlins, and um, we were doing the ring, and we had to carry the ring outside, which I'd never done before. Uh, and Brian Dixon, back in them days, used to help with the ring because it was only a small team it was like I think six guys or something like that so uh I'm, I pick the board up and I'm carrying it and a gust of wind takes me to the side and I hit Brian Dixon on the head with the board and that was like the first day and uh while he had a board in his hand too so uh so yeah it wasn't a good start but it was just like I say it was like every single day was like okay like so like <laughs> I remember the, that, that day like I hit him with the board and then the guys were like okay like you can take a shower now if you want and I was like oh okay no worries so I went up there uh got all my stuff went from the dressing room into the shower and then by the time I came out the shower like everybody had gone and I was like oh wow like 
what's going on here and then when i got outside like brian was sat there fuming in his car and like the the boys had played like a trick on me saying oh we'll get a shower now and that <laughs> there was no time for a shower we had to head off to like the next place so uh so yeah it was just little things like that i was just like oh this is the way it is and uh and yeah it was like six six or seven days every week from like april till november and i was just like i was just learning stuff all the time it was uh brian was quite cool if we were traveling with him because he would let us sleep in the car so um me and kid cool used to like just get to the camp get showered stay out all night and then sleep on the car journeys like that was the only time that we slept in them days so um your your relationship with brian dixon uh obviously you've gone on to then kind of meet his daughter marry his daughter how is that kind of um i, I assume that you're quite good friends now right yeah 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 we're friends um obviously he's like my he is family now and he is my father-in-law but like when it comes to professional side of the business he'll always be like my boss you know what i mean it's not like i can get away with anything that anybody else can't get away with you know it's uh anybody that knows brian knows he's got a certain way of doing things and that doesn't change for anybody so um moving on as well from that uh you say about um you've obviously done this of all-star and then moving on you had um in 2004 you were selected to be part of team britain for the TNAX Cup, uh, you wrestled in Nashville, Tennessee, right? Um, is that is that the first time that you wrestled outside the UK? Yeah, that was the first time. Um, and to be honest, looking back, it was probably a bit early for me. Um, I think even after wrestling for like four years, like on a regular basis, I, I, I don't think I was ready at that time. Um, but it, it, was, it was weird. Like we were at an all-star show and I'd just come back from an injury. I think I had like a back injury or it might have been I had a grade four ligament tear in my ankle, which both of them like kept me out for for weeks. And uh, I'd just come back and uh, we were at a show in Chester and Robbie Brookside came up to me, who was also on the show. And he was like, oh, I've just got a call from uh, this guy called Dave Pence and he's looking for four guys to go and uh, and wrestle for this company called TNA in America. And uh, would you be interested? I was like, oh, um, maybe. Uh, when is it? And he's like, well, you've got to be there by tomorrow night. And I was just like, oh, shit. Um, okay. And uh, and basically, like, I thought about it all show. And, um, and I was like, you know, if I don't do this now, I'm going to end up regretting, like, not doing it. So, and Robbie Dynamite was going. So as soon as I heard Robbie was going, I was just like, yeah, I'm in. If, if my big brother's going, I'm going too. What was that like? Was it a was it a culture shock because the first time you've wrestled for an American audience? Uh, what was weird is we got there and um, they wanted me to be a villain or a heel, and I'd never been a heel in my career, so that was a little bit strange. Um, I wrestled Sa Rios in my first match there, and uh, I think the styles clashed quite a bit. And I always say that. That's probably like one of the worst matches I've had in my entire career. Um, so much so, like after the match, like I came, I said thank you, and then went outside and like cried for like 30 minutes against the wall. I was, I was, I was devastated. Like I was so disappointed in myself. Um, but I also say that uh, that's probably one of the best things to ever happen to me in my career because 
from that day forward, I, I, I promised myself I was never going to have a match that bad ever again. So, uh, so yeah, it was a hell of a learning experience, that one. So when you say about styles clashing, uh, can you go in a little bit more detail why you wasn't happy with that match? Uh, I think, I think to be honest, I think just the nerves got to me and our British style is a lot different than like the Mexican Lucha Libre style. Um, and I know we'd done quite a bit in, in the WWF by that point, but still, it's, it's still not like our British style. And I, I think I just blew it, you know, uh, no excuses. I think I just totally shit the bed in that match. So, uh, it was a week until our next match for TNA, and uh, I just spent all week just just saying to myself, okay, like I'm going to make up for that, you know, I'm going to make up for it. And uh, me and James Mason were in a tag match together, and um, and James James has always been like a mentor, like as well as Dynamite, he's he's my uh, he's my mentor. So I was like, what happened last week is never going to happen again. It's it's definitely not going to happen this week. And that tag match, I was I was pretty happy with that tag match, to be honest. Oh, that's good. So you must have felt so good about redeeming yourself. Um, what? So can you tell me a little bit about like so the Brit? A lot of people, there's this idea where like the British um, style and the British audience is very similar to the American audience. Would you would you agree with that, or would you say that actually did you underestimate how different they were? What's your opinion on that? I think, I think to be honest, I think like the, the the crowd were like the last thing on my mind. Like when I was, because over there it was like it was pay per view, so it was everything was for the camera, and I was, yeah, I was just real concentrating on the match. Um, and at that time in my career, like I didn't do an indie in the UK until like 2010, you know. So I'd I'd had no experience on the indies and. Obviously, with All Star, you're doing family shows, so, so yeah, it was it was kind of weird, but it wasn't until I started doing the indies in British wrestling that I realised that oh, this is completely different to like the All Star crowds that that I've been wrestling in front of for all this time. Well, that uh, that actually brings me on to my next point. I uh, I've got it written down here. Uh, last week I was speaking with Nathan Cruz, and he was talking about um how when he went and wrestled for Progress, he had a hard time uh kind of adapting his style, and he said about how Maurice Girl really helped him understand that more adult audience. Um, where where so you've obviously gone since then? You've wrestled loads of British independent companies, Dragon Gate, PCW, IPW. Um, how does your style change? How is Dean Allmark different on All-Star and how is he different on the independent circuit? Can you kind of define to me what it is that, how would you change and what did you learn, if that makes sense? So by the time I did my first indie show, which I believe was the Dragon Gate UK show, I'd been wrestling for 10 years. The TNA thing happened in 2004, so I still had that. But I, I just had it in my mind, like I'd seen like indie stuff, and um, and I'd seen like loads of American indie stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna wrestle like I'm wrestling in front of like an ECW crowd in like the 90s, you know. I'm that's the way I'm gonna change my style and and make it fit that kind of thing. But like when I started doing the indie, I was like, it's not like that at all, you know, like. British indie fans, like from my experience, have always been really, really cool and and really, really respectful, like 
to me especially i don't know what it is but like i've never had one of these experiences that some people have had where like they've gone in front of like a load of drunken like over 18s and like really struggled because they're used to family shows i just never had that at all i just i think by the time like 2010 2011 came along i was like reaching the point in my career and i was just like I'm just going to let my wrestling doing the talking. Like, if you think, like, all-star guys are just happy, clappy, like, wrestlers, then watch this, you know. That was kind of my mindset at that time. And, yeah, when when I started, like, blasting out, like, moonsaults to the floor and Spanish flies and stuff, I think they were like, oh, well, this guy isn't just, like, a happy, clappy guy at all. Like, these all-star guys can, can really wrestle. And uh, I always had it in my mind that, like, especially after the TNA thing, I was like, okay, there's different styles in wrestling. I need to learn every single style and need to understand every style. So if I wrestle a Mexican ever again and they take and he whips me off by my right arm or takes my right arm, I'm going to be prepared. And there's not going to be a wrestler in the world that I can't like wrestle and get a good match out of. So that was just basically my goal. And, and like I said, that TNA experience was like the best thing to ever happen to me in my entire career. When you say about how it threw you off um, in TNA, you working heel, would you, to this day, would you describe yourself as like a career babyface? Like, do you work heel all that often? Um, I, I'm a heel for a company called Broken Ring Wrestling. And uh, I wrestled three matches there now or four matches. Um, and honestly, like when I, and that was, it was my first match there was, was last year. And it was so much fun. I was just like, after doing that match as a, as a villain, I was like, I never want to be a babyface ever again. Like, this is so much fun. I had such a good time. And like, every time I go there, I'm just like, this is so cool that I'm getting to do this. Because like I've said, like, I've always been just the blue eye, you know, I've always been a babyface. And it is nice to change things up. You know, it's it's funny because um, it, it's really weird if I share an experience because obviously you've had so much more time in the job. So it seems weird me uh, me saying anything. But, but um, for me, I, I've always thought that the working heel is so much is so much more fun, like you say, because like I think in today's like era, it's so hard to make people like you. It's so easy to make people hate you. Like everyone's so kind of automatically negative. So like it's just so easy to just to just be hated, in my opinion, anyway. Like because even when you watch like TV and stuff now, it's all anti-heroes. Like you know what's that show Breaking Bad where you're literally cheering for a drug dealer? Like there's no like kind of oh I'm good now, you know. So so that I definitely share that same sentiment. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's the point. It's just it's one of them things. I think when you kind of when you've done something so much, and I've been there with some like really really good heels like rampage brown nathan cruz like you said um dynamite like like top of the like, like top of the food chain like heels you kind of like just think of them times where you've wrestled them so many times you're just like i'm just gonna like kind of do what they did at this point just make it my own so uh so yeah i get i get what you're saying about like the anti-hero thing but like i, I still think there's a place for like a, a captain in america or somebody like that you know uh-huh yeah yeah um so another thing that i want to i want to talk about um is now i was listening to a podcast with rockstar spud and uh he and it was from a few years ago and he was saying about how he went and wrestled in japan uh on a show with you in 2014 
um he was saying about how he knows like you, you know you guys are buddies and like he knows how much it meant for you to go and wrestle in japan and he said that you were like a a, a kid in a candy store uh when you went and did that first show for uh for wrestle one can you tell me can you tell me about that what was going through your mind um so what happened was we had a show at butlins and um a guy called sam adonis who was uh the brother of corey graves was wrestling on the team at this point and um a japanese guy called jimmy suzuki had been in touch with him asking who uh the all-star champion was at that time uh which just so happened to be me so uh jimmy arranged to come to butlins and watch the show um and see like if there was anybody there that could possibly go over to wrestle one and defend the title um so he came and uh, i wrestled sam in the show and um, the next day he phoned up and he was like, okay, um, you're in. And, and what, what basically happened was um, Jimmy found out that I'd wrestled like Justin Thunder Liger the year before. And he, he thought that would be a great storyline for me to like make, make a debut in Japan as the guy that beat Justin Thunder Liger. So, uh, so yeah, it was kind of mind blowing because I was just like, I'd always been such a big fan of like the, especially the new Japan juniors and the, a Mishinoku Pro during the 90s, like when we used to go to the tape traders, they were the tapes that I used to pick up more than any other. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to Japan. And uh, and for it was like six months, like I trained, like I'd never trained before in my entire life. I, I just, when I was going there, I was like, okay, you went to TNA and you, you really fucked that up. So like when you go to Japan, this is your like, not even a dream, it's a fantasy. Like, you're gonna make this the best you that's ever been, and uh, and yeah, it was it was a fun match, and I think I showed like everything that I could do. Like I didn't want to go there just like doing the British style. I just wanted like just to like do everything that I could possibly do in every style and show where I've got. Um, what was unfortunate is like going into like the final stretch. Um, my opponent hyperextended his knee, and. Uh, and it was kind of weird because, like, I'd, I'd give him back suplex and uh, he went to land on his feet and hyperextended it that way. So I was going over to get him and the referee was pushing me back. So I was just, like, stood in the corner. I was like, in my mind, I was like, okay, uh, he's fucked. He's injured. And uh, in my mind, it just, like, it came so fast. I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to sort this out and make this the best that it can be with an injury. So uh, in the end, like they, they were like spraying his knee with like, they have like this spray in Japan where they like, I guess it's kind of like eye spray. So they were doing that. And apparently like, so it's great Muta's company, right? And he was watching on the TV backstage and he sent some young boys to the ring to try and stop the match. But there was young boys by the ring already. Uh, that were from the same dojo as my opponent. And he told them, like, he just needs a, a few seconds and then he'll be okay to go. So you got these young boys that came from the back that were trying to, like, stop the match and go over to the timekeeper and grab the bell and ring the bell. And then these other young boys that were, like, stopping them from doing it, saying, no, no. He's... So there's this entire fight going on outside the ring. And the referee turns around to, like, see what's going on. And by that point, my opponent had, like, almost got to his feet. So I was like, okay, we're going. And as I went across to grab him, like the crowd like came up so so much for that. I think it kind of added to the match, to be honest. Tell me a little bit about the uh, the 
crowds in Japan because you hear so many people say, obviously, it's a completely different culture to here and also in the States. Can like how how would you describe their, them as a as an audience? Like how does your work change? Uh, so again, it was just like I'd seen so much Japanese wrestling, I kind of knew what to expect. Um, and like my first show in Japan was in like the Ryodoku Sumo Hall, which is now ran by like the WWE when they go there. It's like one of the biggest venues that they've got, and there was like six thousand people or something like that. So. Uh, it's weird. It was, it's obviously it's silent. Like when you're like doing stuff, but as soon as you do something they like, they all react at the same time. Uh, and when they react, it's so loud. Like it gives you gives me chills just thinking about it now. Um, and like at that time in my career, I think that was the biggest crowd that I'd ever wrestled in front of. And I was just so amped. Like I'd I'd been wrestling 14 years at that point, and it was nice to have the adrenaline back. It was like I was starting again. You know, it was yeah, it was crazy um so coming back to modern day as well now correct me if i'm wrong dean uh but re- i noticed recently uh you've gained particular notoriety with the kind of hardcore internet wrestling fans uh does that did you not have that for a while as that recently came in in the last few years uh and and if so uh what does it mean to you kind of finally getting recognition from that that kind of section of the audience um i think a lot of it is to do with social media. Um, like in 2010, um, by that point, I, I don't think I was on social media at all, you know, uh, and I'd been wrestling on a full-time basis for like 10, 10 years, you know. Um, so like, I never really felt like, I, I think for them 10 years, I was kind of like, I wasn't known. And it was only, I started getting known on like, by the hardcore fans when I started doing like the indies, you know, um, where that, it was such good timing because after them 10 years of wrestling, like full time, like it was a good time to show my skills. And, um, if it would have been 2004, when I started doing the indies, I probably would have been like laughed out the building, you know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, it was the experience and like the guys that I wrestled for all them years, like being around James Mason so much, I think that was, that was what helped me more than anything. Uh, and also moving um, to kind of modern day, you've also already mentioned it about how you're the head coach at the All Star Wrestling School. Um, how how did that come about? Like, did was that always something that you were going to transition into? Um, I think I think at the time it was just um, there was just an opportunity to open a wrestling school, and uh, and I decided to go for it. You know, there was a perfect place, and um, and obviously being a full time wrestler, you never know when your next wage is going to come in. So like having that, like at the weekend on a Saturday and Sunday, as well as picking up as many shows as I could, was like a real help. Like to have a, like guaranteed money every weekend was something I wasn't used to. So yeah, in, in, in the beginning, I think it was just like, okay, well, this is like a money thing, but like, it's no longer that for me. It's, it's about like passing on my teachings and I'm trying to find like the next big stars and, and just pass on my knowledge, you know, uh, and pass on the knowledge that I learned from from guys that are no longer wrestling. And um, I think a little bit in this country, our traditions and and the British wrestling style has been lost a little bit. Um, and I always see it as like there needs to be people 
that keep that style alive. You know, we we just can't just do the American Japanese style and and just be happy with that. You know, we've got our own style that was around way before anything else was. So uh, that needs to stay alive. And and as I start to slow down and get older and and obviously I'll, I can't flip anymore. That's going to be the thing that I'm I'm just going to be doing. Like I'm just going to become like just the old British wrestling style. That's going to be me. But I'd like for the for everybody to do it, you know. Because if you if you see like a good wrestling match between like two good British wrestlers, people are amazed by it, and it's just what we all should wish. We should definitely all know how to do it, even if we're not all doing it on shows. And for uh, for the uh, listeners as well, uh, where whereabouts is the All Star Wrestling School based? Uh, it's in a place called the Wirral, which is uh, it's like ten minutes away from Liverpool. All right, cool. And um, with it being like the All Star Wrestling School as well, does Brian Dixon come down and like kind of scout out the the trainees about going onto the All Star Circuit, or is that kind of kept very separate? No, no, yeah, he does come down on occasion. Um, um, so uh, we had this big Welsh guy um, that was sent to our school uh, by a promoter in Wales called Arig Williams. Um, and Arig had obviously told Brian about him because Arig was the one that got Brian into the job. And um, he turned up and as soon as Brian saw him, he was like, OK, you're coming away with us. And he'd only been training for a couple of months at the very most. And that guy ended up being Mason Ryan that went on to the WWE. So uh so yeah, it's nice to nice when something like that happens, and and honestly, Brian's eyes lit up that day. <laughs> See that big bugger. <laughs> um, and also with you obviously teaching these guys, can you give me kind of five tips that you'd give to new wrestlers? They're maybe like a few years in, they aspire to get to the kind of quality of work as you know yourself. What kind of um, or, or maybe even think of it if it's easier. What kind of uh, feedback would you have gave to yourself? A few years in, uh, what what advice would you give? Um, number one is watch as much wrestling and different wrestling as you can. Uh, I think sometimes like it's not their fault, but a lot of a lot of people when they first start out in wrestling, they just kind of watch WWE because that's what they love, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you need to watch wrestling from all over the world, you know. Uh, uh, you need to go as, as many wrestling schools as you can to learn from as, de- as many different people as you can. Um, you need to wrestle on a regular basis as much as you can. Um, and you need to network as much as possible. Uh, I know this day and age, like wrestling, like is a different game than it was when I first come in. Like when I first started, there was there was no internet, you know. Um, and now you can go on the internet and make friends with like all your favorite wrestlers and wrestlers that have been around for years. So, um, so yeah, you got to network as much as possible and, and make as many friends as you can in wrestling and try not to make any enemies. You know, um, the worst thing that you can do is burn bridges and, and blacklist yourself in places. So uh, make as many friends as possible. And finally, uh, Dean, as well, just before we end, I want to play uh, a little game of um, word association. So what I'm going to do is I'll say uh, a promotion or a wrestler, anything like that. Someone, uh, you know, who you've had uh, connections with. I haven't just picked random people that you don't know. Uh, and if you can, uh, just kind of if you've got any stories with those people, uh, you know, anything that comes up your head, just go for it. Uh, so I'm obviously. So 
<laughs> so my very first one, uh, it's an easy one. You've uh, talked about it for the last hour, but uh, All-Star Wrestling. Um, All-Star Wrestling is uh, the UK's most historical company. Our, um, my next one is Sam Adonis. Great guy. We've then got uh, Greg Burridge. Yeah, good guy. Um, I haven't spent that much time with Greg. Um, we've both been around for a long time. But like from uh, from meeting him when he first started and, and then later on at Brit Rest Fest. Like, so like Brit Rest Fest, I was there on the day where he was in there with his students and they came along and they totally stole the show. Uh, which turned out to be Will Ospreay's first ever match, apparently. Uh, yeah, and I was sat there in the balcony watching that match with Nathan Cruz, thinking, wow, that kid's going to be something special. So, uh, so yeah, Greg Burridge, good guy. Yeah, it's funny uh, that you should say that, because um, when I was I was recently living in London a little bit, and uh, I went, I was fortunate enough to be able to go down to his school. And the, the way that he teaches things is absolutely incredible because he's also obviously got um, the experience in movies and things. So, like, um, he describes things in ways that I've never been uh, taught before. So that, that was really cool. Um, the next one is Styx. Ah, oh, Styx, lovely guy. And, uh, and Styx will always be, like... The match that I had with him at Dragon Gate UK will always, always be like a match that's very special to me because it was like, like I say, it was my first match on the Indies. Uh, in that crowd, you had like Stephen Flutter, which is like the PC double promoter. The referee at the time was Andy Quilden, which was like the Rev Pro promoter. Uh, and you, and uh, Ben Old was in the crowd too, which was Southside's promoter. And uh, we just went out, out there and, and that match couldn't have gone any better. Um, and for my first indie match, like he was my perfect opponent, and that was actually the first time we wrestled too. So, uh, so yeah, that will that will always be one of my favorite matches of all time. What is he like um, when you say you know how how easy it was to work? Can you tell me a little bit why? Like why is it so easy to work with Sticks? Because he's so passionate about the job, um, and his work rate, especially for like back then, he was like a big guy his work rate was like phenomenal. Like there wasn't many guys his size that would go in there and work as hard and as fast as, uh, as he did that day. My next one is Adam Maxted. Oh my God, he's a sweetheart. And uh, I haven't known Adam for that long. It's probably like three or four years. Um, but like, in such a short amount of time, he's like become one of my best friends in the job. Like, he's such a good guy. He's been to my school and uh, a couple of times. And uh, obviously, when he's on the road with All Star, like he'll be the one that I'll always be trying to like share a dressing room with. And we just get along so well. Like he, he's such a good guy. And uh, and to go along with that, like he's got the physique of a superstar. And like the way he picks things up and the way he's improved in such a short amount of time is unbelievable and uh he'll be signed like and become one of the uk's biggest stars in in a couple of years no doubt my uh my next one is robbie brookside uh robbie uh 
obviously uh, coming along on the All-Star team. So, like, I'd been with All-Star for a couple of months and he'd been in Japan and then he'd been wrestling for a promoter called Scott Conway. And, like, when Robbie came along on the team, he was, like, obviously really strict because he's such a big character, but he really helped us so much. And um, just having him on the team, he was, like, such a leader. And uh, if you were on a five-hour car journey with Robbie Brookside, it would just go like that. He's He could talk all day, and uh, and some of the stuff he comes out with is absolutely amazing. He's a fantastic storyteller. Um, my next one is El Ligero. Ah, oh, I love Ligs. He's, uh, again, like when you talk about work rate, he's like one of the, he just loves wrestling so much. And uh, he's probably the, like apart from me and Robbie Dynamite, he's probably the most passionate person when it comes to professional wrestling. He's, uh, he's just so passionate about it. And, um, and he's another one that's evolved over time. And he's, if you watch a Ligero match, it's bound to be good. It's it's going to be one of the best matches on the show. He's he's really good, and he's he's such a good guy. Rampage Brown. Uh, uh, so when I first started in the GBH school, Ollie came down to that school a couple of times to train. Um, and like we hit it off straight away, even when we were both 15. And uh, he ended up coming on the All Star team full time in like I'd say like 2004, 2005. And like when we were wrestling each other, like it was just like okay, we're going full on tonight. Like our matches were never for the crowds; it was just for us two. And he's the person that like when I look back in my career. We, we probably, like, beat the shit out of each other more than anybody else I've ever wrestled. He's uh, And he's one of the best in the UK. Like, everybody says it. And if you watch his matches, his movement, his match pacing is unbeatable. He's so good. Ashton Smith. Oh, I, all these guys I love. Have you got a list of, like, all my best friends or something? <laughs> <laughs> Ashton is such a cool guy. And, like... Uh, he's another one that like I haven't really spent that much time with. Um, I only really spent time with him at PCW, and um, the first time I ever wrestled Ashton was uh, for the PCW Cruiserweight Championship, and it was uh, Babyface versus Babyface, and it was like in Blackpool Tower, which was sold out, and we were put on in the main event. And I was a little bit worried because by that point you'd had like Jimmy Havoc against T-Bone like in a hardcore match and stuff and the hooligans were on and the hooligans were like super over but like we went in there and it's like to this day one of my favorite matches I've ever had um for that style it was like I like to call it like sports entertainment style um and the story was told in the match and the match pacing was really good and then a couple of weeks later I wrestled him in Preston uh in a rematch for the title and when we had like a Best of three falls match, and uh, again, absolutely amazing. And um, and he's one of them guys, man. He's just got it. You look at him; he's a star. And in the ring, he backs it up. Did you have any um any connections with Sheamus when he was in All Star at all? Did you cross paths? Yeah, uh, I was on shows with Sheamus. Um, but like, Sheamus come along, and Sheamus was just like. He had one goal, and that was to go to the WWE. Uh, nothing else was on his mind. He, he was never, like, really one of the boys or anything like that. He was just, like, he'd turn up, he'd do his job, and 
he'd get gone. You know, he was, he was one of them. He was just like, he knew it was his destiny to get there. And, and he did it, you know. And uh, my, well, two more. Uh, I've got Nathan Cruz. Uh, Nathan Cruz was, uh, I've known Nathan since he first started. And, uh, and like, again, like that, that what I call like sports entertainment style. He's like one of the best in the country at it. You know, uh, you, you give him a microphone. He's absolutely amazing on the mic. Um, and, and yeah, he calls himself the professional and that's what he is. You know, he, he does his job. He's good in the ring. He presents himself well. And, uh, and Nathan's one of them people that if I turn up in a moment, Nathan on the show, then I know it's going to be a balter. It's no doubt about it. Like when when I wrestled him for the first time at NGW, uh, we went out there and uh, again it was one of my favorite matches of all time. And uh, yeah, he's just he's just great. He's a great guy, great in the ring, fantastic on the microphone. That's great that you say about it being one of your favorite matches as well. Because when he was on last week, he said exactly the same. He was like working with you, just so smooth, so like kind of easy. Uh, just because you know that it's gonna it's gonna be great, and you're not worried. You've just got complete faith. So that's uh that's awesome. That's reciprocated. Uh, my final one as well. Uh, obviously he's now family of yours, but uh, Brian Dixon. Uh, Brian Dixon is like one of the best promoters that's ever lived by far. Um, he's just 100% businessman and uh, he's just professional, you know, he's, he's probably the most um, guys have tried to do his accents. They have never met him, you know? So uh, it's a show in 2006. I've met Chris Benoit and uh, Benoit, like obviously he, I was introduced to Benoit by Robbie Brookside and, uh, and Robbie Brookside said, oh, Brian Dixon's his father-in-law. And Ben White never met Brian Dixon, but for some reason knew how to do his voice spot on. It was just like everybody in the business is the Stu Hart and then there's Brian Dixon for impressions. And yeah, uh, he's just a character. Like if you met Brian, you just know like there's nobody else in the world like him. We're getting to the end. We're, uh, we're running out of time a little bit, but I've got a few questions that people have sent in. Uh, so we'll just do a couple. Uh, my first one uh, that I got was, have you ever been intentionally stiffed in the ring? Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Like when you wrestle for so much, like there's not one that like springs to mind is like, oh, that guy like proper like chin me or something. But when you think about it, when you wrestle so often, like Robbie Dynamite was like one of the ones, even though he was like my big brother, we absolutely used to kill each other in the ring. And it wasn't like stiff. It was just like, okay, like unless you're knocked out, then it's not stiff. It's just solid. It was in there. Um, Rampage Brown was another one. He understand. He understood the way it was. And there'd be matches where we'd be like trading off and then we'd just like start headbutting each other, you know? It's just... We both had that understanding and we both loved it that much. So uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say my first couple of years in, in All-Star, went in them rumbles and stuff, that was the, the worst that I got. But compared to Robbie and Ollie, like nobody's ever hit me that hard. So it wasn't really stiffing. It was just like, we're, we're doing this, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Um, and also I had one that said, um, will you ever give up those pleather pants? Uh, you know, your, um, your signature look, the white and red pleather baggy pants. Tell me, uh, is that something that you're looking to give up anytime soon? Uh, here's the thing, like, so like, when I look around on shows, like, there's nobody that wears the same gear as I wear. And like, like I said about the wrestling, like, you always want to be like, you want to be different than everybody else. And uh, when I look around and I don't see anybody wearing what I wear, I'm just like, well, this is kind of my thing. This is where I stand out. And some people don't like it, but I actually like the look. And it's just like, I could wear trunks like everybody else wears trunks, but I just think I've got my own little thing and I like it, you know? No, I, I um, they must be, uh, they must be super comfortable. They look really comfortable <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so comfy uh no thank you very much uh dean it's been such an awesome little chat i hope people enjoy it as well uh just before you go as well is there anything that you'd like to say to your fans out there that are listening to this obviously they're um they're waiting until they can see you wrestle again is there anything that you'd like to say to those people uh just like thank you for anybody that's like supporting me in any way like anybody that's ever bought my shirts or, or even like shared my videos or like my videos or send me nice messages. Like I'm not one of these wrestlers that gets like much hate or anything like that. Like everything that is sent away is like positive and, and that's because like I've got the right kind of people like supporting me. So, uh, so just thank you really. And uh, obviously when lockdown's over, I'm looking forward to getting back. And I want, I, I said before that I'd, I thought I'd reached my peak at like 2011 but I don't actually think I've reached my peak yet. I think, I think I've still got a lot more to offer. And uh, all this time off has given me time to think, which is like a dangerous thing like for me, because I'm just like coming up with all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, all this different stuff. And I don't think anybody's ready. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, that's been Dean Olmark on the VIP Lounge. I hope you enjoyed your time, Dean. And, uh, and I'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me, man. And there you have it, guys. That was my interview with the amazing Dean Allmark. I hope you found it informative. Uh, and if you are uh, wrestlers out there that are wanting to kind of step up to the next level, you want to go and, you know, you want to kind of walk in uh, Dean's footsteps, I really hope that you learned something today. Uh, once again, you guys, you can check me on social media at Reese Ryan Brand. Please check out ReeseRyanBrand.com. I look forward to seeing you down the road.